Hello, hello everyone. I think we are live and uh, should be streaming. Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I'm not joined, as almost always, by the bad mamma Gemma, Carrie Smith. She is off working. Everyone has to eat, even Carrie has to eat. So uh, if you don't want her working, if you miss her like I do, go ahead and, and support the show. So she doesn't have to have another job. So with that, um, happy 4th of July, everyone. Happy Independence Day. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe to us. Today, I've got a special guest host, guest co-host. Um, he's been on the show before. His name is Keith Bissett. Keith is a representative of the Convention of States Project. Keith will tell you about that project um, in a little bit. But he also recently uh, made a video about the Declaration of Independence and has been doing some research on the origins of the U.S. And so Keith joins us today. Let me see if I can get this working here. Keith, are you there? Welcome to the show. I'm here. Am I awesome there? I think you are. Uh, yes, no carry. I, people are already complaining that there's no carry. I'm, we're all sad. We're all sad. <laughs> but, I'm sad too. Yeah. Carrie's sad because she wanted to, you guys are Facebook friends, but you've never actually spoken to each other in like verbally, I don't think. Huh. No, we ne we never have. I didn't know what her voice sounded like or really what she looked like until you started the show. But I've known her for two years, and uh, she's she's a good friend. People yeah. vilify Facebook, but I uh, actually met her through Facebook. There you go. Well, Keith, welcome. Um, I guess there's a bunch. Of, there's a bunch I want to talk about. Uh, but maybe. Oh, by the way, in the background, this is supposed to be playing. I guess it's not really. I'm trying to trigger leftists by playing 70, 1776 in the background, but apparently I have a connection error, of course. Something has to go wrong technically on every show, but if this is all it is for this show, I'm okay. Everything else seems to be working. Um, look, you and I are both, you're a limited government kind of guy, small L libertarian. I don't know how you describe yourself exactly. Is that correct? Small L libertarian or... Uh, yeah, maybe philosophical libertarian. I don't. I don't really use the group label, so I'm not on any of the uh, index cards of allowable opinion, as they say. Fair. Fair. So, yeah, philosophical libertarian, or uh, as far as the government goes. Now, I've never been a member of any party. Never been part of the Libertarian Party, the capital L one. Right. But so and so that's you. I'm an ANCAP guy, but we both. We both appreciate something about the U.S. I like to celebrate Independence Day. Um, maybe you could start by telling people why celebrate, what's so special about America? Why the hell should we celebrate Independence Day in the first place? Well, the uh, the founders in, in the uh, 1700s were very tired of the tyrannical king, and they decided to throw him off. And the Declaration of Independence was about the, the people saying that people have the right to self-govern and that individuals have rights and all men are created equal and that govern governments can only be justified by the consent of the governed. There's no other morally justified government. And it, the country is founded on that concept. And that was a new thing. There'd never been a country that was founded on that. All the countries before that had basically kings. And the only way they changed the government was you cut, cut the king's head off and you 
installed a new king. That was the only thing they knew how to do up until then. I do admit at times that doesn't sound like a bad idea. Um, so the, the idea is supposed to be a step in between cutting the king's head off. So, yeah, I, I, so that's, the, that was the setup of this country is you can't actually change the government. You can change the constitution, which defines the government. So the whole right. point is they wrote down the form of the government very clearly and they set up ways to change it. So if it's not doing what you like, the people can change the government through their states and you don't have to cut the king's head off unless they don't listen to you. Right. So maybe maybe we should start by can we watch the short video you did of I you you had a brilliant revelation that which is um reading the entire declaration of independence is too much to ask for these days for people, but you read selected excerpts from it that captured the essential ideas of what was in the declaration and you had a bunch of people do it and you made this short video. Maybe now's a good time to play the video and then talk about the Declaration of Independence and what, what went on behind that. Is that good? Sure. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's see if I can figure this out. All right. It's a two-minute summary of the Declaration. So I call it an abridged version. It's all the original words. I just skipped some so that you can get the essence in two minutes. And it's for the typical American attention span that does not tolerate a 10-minute long thing. Yeah, that's just, you're asking too much, man. You're asking too much. Although we ask that of our audience. So sorry, sorry, audience. All right, so here we go. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal with certain unalienable rights. To secure these rights, governments are instituted deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Whenever any government becomes destructive, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. It is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government. The history of the present king is a history of repeated injuries. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of importance. He has obstructed the laws for the naturalization of foreigners. He has obstructed the administration of justice. He has made judges dependent on his will alone. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us, in times of peace, standing armies. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. For cutting off our trade with all parts of the world. For imposing taxes on us without our consent. For depriving us of the benefit of trial by jury. We, the representatives of the United States of America, do, by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are free and independent states. And that they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other things which independent states do. 
and for the support of this declaration, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Thank you. I said, okay, I think we got the gist of that one. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, Keith, so there, there's a lot to unpack and I just, I'm not actually sure where to start. So we're told a lot about the racist origins, the slave origin, you know, America was built on slavery. America is full of, you know, it, its foundations are racist. Uh, it's, um, it was always oppressive from the start. Let's, let's just back up and start talking about the very beginning you have some interesting points about the Declaration of Independence. Uh, I don't think everyone really even understands what the Declaration was really about. That hopefully gave them uh, some an overview, maybe. Yeah, yeah want to pick out a couple things in there that are critical and go through them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and all right, all right, the, some so the of first... them are recognizable even, maybe, today. Yeah, I did. You know, I, I skipped 80% of it. Um, so there's lots of things in there that are that are important. Uh, they didn't really mince words, those guys. But uh, it takes ten to twelve minutes to read it. So so the the first thing what I started with is the one we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, certain unalienable rights. So what they're saying is is everybody, and by men they meant people. They use men, men and women. It's the generic use of the word men. Um, they're saying all men are equal, and there's unalienable rights. That was a new thing. There had never been a country that was set up that way with, with that as a basis. And that's how it starts. They're saying that there, are, there is such a thing as rights and they're unalienable. They don't come from the government. So rights are not a gift from government. Uh, government can't provide you rights. Um, government can infringe on rights, um, but they can't take them away. So, you know, for example, you know, all the citizens in North Korea have the right to keep and bear arms. The government infringes on it pretty heavily, but the right exists and it can't change it. And, you know, sometimes I'll say, talk about rights. If, if you start saying that a certain person has a right and other people don't have it, then that means that's not a right. That isn't what the word right means. Yeah. yeah. And actually, so I remember reading this. This was in the Federalist the other day, Keith. The original line was actually, we hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable. It was edited after, but sacred and undeniable is even more powerful, I think, than self-evident. Yeah, it's, you know, you have to depend on where you get the basis of rights. So that's another question, you know, where do rights come from? And uh, we probably shouldn't go into there. We'll spend the whole hour on it. Um, no, but we can say the founding fathers thought they were natural rights at the very least. They didn't come from the government. That was the. That's the point. Yeah. And it's a separate question where they come from. But they're saying there are certain rights. They're unalienable. All people have them and the government can't take them away and it can't grant them. Right. So, you know, the sticker is like I have a sticker on my guitar case. Rights are not gifts from the government. That's the point. And up until that point, um, a lot of governments were founded on the idea that rights are come from the government. 
and it, it isn't true for all of the, the English law. So th this actually goes back 700 years. You know, some of those concepts are in the Magna Carta and there's an English Bill of Rights. I forget the name of it, but basically they had, they were coming up to this at the time of the declaration. So they base this on, on basically English law. It's Western civilization. So that, now that's my understanding, even as like during the middle ages, for example, the, uh, Rights, rights actually were something that was originally thought of as like something that a charter would give you, like, what are your rights? And it kind of originally thought of as coming from the king. And it took some philosophical thinking to be able to kind of separate that and say, wait a minute, no, 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 rights shouldn't come from an authority. No. So, that, so yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence. They were uh, very uh, compact with the words, but unalienable rights, that's a very significant point. So until you get somebody to understand that point, you can't even talk about what a government is supposed to do and, right. and you know what rights are, and, and then you can talk about where they come. So that's the first concept to get across. Rights are unalienable. Everybody has them. All government can do is infringe on them and or protect them. That's yep. the two things governments can do. The second, second line in there is that Governments are instituted deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's another new one. So they're saying that the only way you can have a just government is if the people decide, here's the government we want, and here's what you're supposed to do. Yep. And the purpose of government is to protect the rights of the citizens, protect liberty, protect rights. That's why governments are formed. Now, nowadays, though, the, the word rights is used for like, I have a right to health care. I have a right to... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, what do they say? Rights to uh, college, right? What, what are, that I, doesn't. I, that it's hard to, uh, it, it can be hard to explain to people that you can't have a right to the output of someone else's labor. That's impossible. That's a misunderstanding of what the right is. So uh, once the libertarian quip for that is, you know, your rights end at the end of your nose, right? Or something like once, once yeah, you've heard another one like your rights end where mine begin or something yes so so the the just as an example the right to health care uh there's no such thing that's that's a impossible right um if you say that there's a right to health care you're saying that you support slavery it's one or the other because you're saying that you have a right to the output of somebody else's labor so there's only two possibilities there either medical people work for free which is slavery, or you steal money from other people and pay the medical people. So then the people you steal the money from are slaves. Right. And, you know, not to, not to, you know, belittle or, or, you know, the horrible chattel slavery of the 18, early 1800s. But the concept is, you know, if you, if you demand the right to someone else's labor, that's what slavery is. That's what the word means. Right. So yeah, if you say you have a right to healthcare, uh, you, you certainly don't. And what you're saying is that I support slavery. It's the same thing. And that applies for other. What are some other, other uh, let, let's keep walking through the declaration. Obviously we're not going to go through the whole okay. thing. But no, no, I don't want to go. I can stop a lot. So um, the third line is if, if the government is destructive. So basically if it's not protecting the liberty of the people, then the people have the right to alter or abolish it. Now that is a right. People have a right to, create their governments to suit their interests. And that's the point. And that's the point they were telling the king. You are not doing the job that we want you to do. We've tried 
you know, I, I skipped that part, but they tried for years, many years, decades, actually, to get the king to change, and he refused. He was just making it worse. So they have the right and they have the duty to throw off the government, and that's what they said. The rest of it then, uh, it starts with the history of the present king is a history of repeated injuries. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And three-quarters of the Declaration of Independence is a list of 27 injuries, as they called them. They were things that the king was doing that demonstrated that he was a tyrant and he was not fit to govern a, a free people. So therefore, they dissolved the ties. So let's hear a couple that you think um, might remind us of things happening today. Yeah, so I'll, I'll read a couple and uh, yeah, you can uh, people comment if you see it. Any of these sound familiar? Um, he has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out our, their substance. That's my favorite one, by the way. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, that was actually the one I read because I made the video. I got first pick and that was the line I picked. Um, uh, cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, imposing taxes on us without our consent, making judges dependent on his will alone. Obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners. There's more. There's 27 of them. Um, some of them don't apply today, but a whole bunch sound real familiar. If you look at the news and think about what DC is doing, uh, yeah. some, some of them. So I don't know what I don't know what the the uh, founding era generation would have done with the situation today, but. Some oh, I, I, I saw someone tweet today that said something like, uh, let's be real. The founders would have shot all of you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, which I think there's some truth to that. Um, I mean, certainly the first battle of the Revolutionary War was, uh, as far as I know, it was the first attempt by the government in the United States to do gun control. I mean, the, the whole battle was. Colonel Gage was ordered, he was the uh, governor of Massachusetts Bay. The king ordered him to take the guns from the, the, uh, the rebels, you know, from the, the citizens because they were getting nervous. And uh, Gage reported back, there is no way I can take these people's guns. They, they outarm me by a lot. And so <laughs> he said, well, you got to do something. So he decided, I'm going to get their ammo. Ammo was pretty hard to to keep safe then gunpowder was a bit dangerous the way they used it. Uh, so they used to keep gunpowder in, in a group like buildings. They would uh, make a little building that would come and, and it, it wasn't public gunpowder. Everybody would have a spot in it and keep their gunpowder. So when they started getting worried about the King, they put their gunpowder and their, their uh, shells out in Lexington and Concord. And that's what the battle of Lexington Concord was, was an attempt at gun control. And uh, the king, it turned out uh, it didn't work out so good for the king. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of confiscating the guns. And, you know, the same thing I think would happen in America. You know, here's one, here's one of my little souvenirs I got. What is that? That just looks like. It's a 4570 government. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a big. That's so similar to what I did. Someone in, in chat, Keith, actually said something that uh, I, I hear a lot, um, and I want to address it. It says, the founders were too busy raping their slaves. Uh, and so I think it's it does a disservice to America to whitewash that there was slavery at the time uh, of 
the the Revolutionary War and obviously for some period of time after that. So you and I have talked about this a little bit, and I know you've you've done a little bit of research on it. Not not a lot. I'm not asking you to be an expert here, but can you tell us a little bit about how slavery slavery relates to the founding of America? And in particular, the, the point that I'll just make to start is slavery was not unique to America. Slavery is an institution that has been uh, part of an, an unfortunate blemish on human history throughout the world for all of humanity. So lot, yes. every almost every culture had slaves for millennia. So this isn't new, but how is slavery treated in the founding of the country? Um, the Many of the founders were abolitionists, a lot of them. They saw that slavery should end and that it was immoral. Um, the, the all men are created equal included blacks and included everybody. Um, that was not a European heritage statement. That was everybody. Um, most of them, like Thomas Jefferson, for example, uh, they thought that the only way to end it which is, it's a practical matter, really, is that it has to be ended in steps. And they had been trying for a long time to gradually end it, and it was Great Britain that was stopping it. So, you know, for example, the House of Burgesses in Virginia in like 1750 or 60, um, they tried to pass a law that, that actually they did pass it. They said, we're going to uh, make importation of slavery illegal in 1800 or 1802 or something. And uh, a little after that, they're going to free all the slaves. Like anybody born after that, uh, a child born to a slave after 1800 is a free citizen of the U.S. Um, the king nixed it. The king threatened military action. He nixed it. Um, that was a common view. Uh, they, they were certainly, some, a lot of them thought that um, the, the, the slaves of certain races, now there was Irish slaves and British slaves and Wales slaves and Scots slaves, um, but they did, some of them did think that the, that the black slaves were not of the same, you know, intellectual character as the Europeans, and they might send them back to Africa. Uh, they didn't, uh, they certainly did not want to kill them. Um, they, uh, they didn't want another Haiti uprising, uh, and they, they wanted to end it. So, you know, the, the history of slavery, um, if you go back another couple hundred years, um, it was the British... I mean, these people were all British then. Uh, the British started it basically as sharecroppers and and um, uh, indentured servants was really the beginning. Uh, the first case where someone in the United in the U.S. in America was made a lifetime slave was done by the court um, in a court case where a slave owner uh, wanted to sell a um, uh, he wasn't a slave he was a uh, indentured servant. And he claimed that it was his property and that he hadn't fulfilled his obligation and he wanted to sell him. And the servant was, had an agreement and he went to uh, court and the court said, uh, no, you are a lifetime slave until he decides to sell you. Uh, I think that was in the early 1700s or late 1600s. Is um, this a British court? court? Yes, it's a British court. These are all British citizens. Oh, oh, and by the way, the guy who owned the slave in this court case, the guy was a black guy. <laughs> he was an African guy. I don't know if that matters, but I mean, it didn't it matter to some people, but yeah. Uh, there was a lot of African, there was plenty of African slaveholders, holders. Um, right. 
and and this guy had actually been an indentured servant previous slave. He came in as a slave, became free, worked off his freedom, and he started a farm and he bought slaves. Um, right. So can we just back up for just for a second? Because I I don't know. I think most people know what indentured servitude in sharecroppers are, um, but they're I would call them kind of milder versions of slavery. But humanity didn't recognize them as slavery as such for quite some time because they they had this veil of voluntary exchange. Do you want to just define those terms really quickly? Yeah. Um, it, there's a whole bunch of variations on it and uh, I, I'm not uh, cognizant of it to go through all of them, but basically an indentured servant, there's there, there can be a criminal variant of it or a voluntary. A lot of them wanted to come to the U S because they wanted to leave, you know, some bad situation in Europe and they signed a contract to be transported, housed, fed, uh, and then work for 10 years or something, some period of time. And then at the end of the time, they would get 40 acres and a mule, basically. And they would know how to grow tobacco or cotton or whatever. Right. Uh, and lots of people did that. Um, so they were typically called indentured servants, although a lot of people just call them slaves. They were, you know, they were often treated the way chattel slaves were treated, I think, but, but not all. Um, and they weren't all black. A lot of them were like Irish is very common. Um, so lots of Irish slaves. Uh, and so there's a, this whole spectrum from somebody who signs a contract to be transported and works in okay conditions for the time, which we would look at as horrible. But basically, you know, I mean, the, the average poor person in America lives one or two orders of magnitude better standard of living than a king in 1600 you know right so you, you got to take that on account when you look at these people's lives you know i mean the king of england didn't have a flush toilet <laughs> right so 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 there's this whole spectrum and we tend to refer to all of them as slaves so some of them were horrible some of them weren't that bad for the time some of them signed up for it some were criminals and you know and sent for and and there's a whole list and i don't even know what what they all are and they get all lumped together as chattel slavery, but that isn't actually the case. But and now, you made this argument that a lot of the some of the founders were abolitionists. But um, and you mentioned Thomas Jefferson wanting to end slavery, but he had slaves. He had slaves, and he wanted to uh, he wanted to write in his will to free his slaves on his death. Um, they say, you know, his, I don't know how good he treated his slaves. I mean, I'm not trying to apologize for his slavery uh, ownership, um, but he is known as somebody that was uh, treated his slaves closer to the way people do like profit sharing, you know, in a, in a company. I mean, he, he was at the forefront of that sort of thing, like uh, caring about how hard they work and rewarding them and having them eventually own pieces of things. And, um, but yeah, he's still a slave owner. I mean, I'm not trying to, yep. I'm not apologizing for it, uh, but he was adamant about ending it. He worked uh, very hard from long before 1776. He was trying to end slavery, even though he owned a farm. So, I mean, he had a farm and he had a business and he had slaves. Uh, you know, Virginia tried to make slavery illegal. Um, Right. And you said the, the king would not allow him to free his slaves. King on did not death. allow it. King threatened them. They passed. It passed in the House of Burgesses in Virginia. Right. Um, so, yeah, I had a, if you want to watch that 
Chrisanne Hall video and talks about. Yeah, you've got a video that talks about this a little bit. Let's let's pull it up. You might have to talk while I'm practicing my sharing skills here. <laughs> That's okay. I you know, there's a lot about American history that is, I think, you know, obviously bad and and there's some things that are rooted in there there, there are were slaveholders, there was slavery, but uh, everything everything wasn't horrible and it wasn't it wasn't unique. So I wasn't unique to America. So you've got something here. Let's let's see what it is. I'm almost there. You can probably see my screen now, right? We can see your screen. Okay. We have to do this with, between songs, play music. So why don't you chat to the crowd for a second? We have to <laughs> we have to play music. <laughs> no, no, no. In between songs, while I'm looking for my music, I have to tell the singer talk for a minute. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think you want me to be a singer. We've, no, no, although I, I've I tried. I've heard you sing. I, I didn't ask you to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Well put. Okay. As we continue, I would like you to meet George Middleton. George Middleton was another freed slave, a member of the colonial militia called the Bucks of America. The Bucks of America were battalions of freed slaves who believed in the vision of liberty for all and knew Wait, that, that freedom from Great Britain was the only Did you notice the flag behind that guy's head? I'm going to back up. Can you hear me when yeah. the audio stopped? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah. Okay. Did you say I when it's playing? Uh... It's, By the it's way, someone in the chat, Keith, said, uh, she thinks that Thomas Jefferson couldn't free his slaves because they were collateral on a debt, so he didn't technically own them. All right, there you go. I got the uh, image back. So, yeah, it's a 13-star flag. So a little George Middleton. I kind of wish we could contrast George Middleton with Colin Kaepernick. I, I'm pretty sure George Middleton would disagree with Colin Kaepernick. Um, yes. You know, the uh, all 13 states, you know, after 1776, uh, when the Revolutionary War was started, allowed any slave who wanted to be part of the revolution and join the infantry. Uh, all you had to do is raise your hand and you were free for life. And thousands of them did it. And and it was common view at the time that slavery was not going to end unless they overthrew the king that it was a British institution and that the states were working to get rid of it. It was already illegal in, in several states. Some of the northern states had already made it illegal. Right. All right. I, so let's, I didn't mean to interrupt. Let's, let's let her finish. Okay. Slaves who believed in the vision of liberty for all and knew that freedom from Great Britain was the only way that could be achieved. They knew that many of the American colonies were continually attempting to outlaw slavery. But the government of Great Britain was obstructing every effort. The king and parliament would threaten the colonies, attempting to end slavery with financial sanctions and even military force. Colonel George Mason expressed his frustration during our Constitution's ratification debates. He said, this infernal traffic originated in the avarice of British merchants. The British government constantly checked our attempt of Virginia to put a stop to it. Once our independence was declared, 
the newly formed states created a policy that any slave who wanted to fight for independence would be a free man forever. The British had a similar motivation, enticement to the slaves. However, their policy was based upon hate, division, and revenge, not upon liberty. The British government promised to arm the slaves with the vision of slaying their masters. But as soon as the government of Great Britain gained control, these men would be thrust back into slavery. We don't teach in the schools that slavery was mandated upon the American colonies. And one of the reasons, one of the big reasons for declaring independence was to free ourselves from the mandates of slavery. Virginia had been trying to outlaw the importation of slaves as a colony and the British government kept pounding them into submission. One of the first things Virginia did as a state was to make slavery illegal. Roger Sherman. So they, so they started the process to make it illegal. Right. And but I, now, I, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. Um, so, uh, she's she's talking about what is taught in schools. Uh, I didn't learn this in school. How about you? No, not uh, at all. And and we didn't go to school during social justice era. Now I think what people are taught in schools is that uh, slavery was the backbone of America, and it was you know part and parcel to the culture and the ideology behind the U.S. And obviously that's uh, just a why. No, they, they leave that part out. Uh, I mean, do, do you know do you know who the first person killed in the Revolutionary War was? I don't. It was Crispus Atox was his name. Uh, he was a black guy. He was part black and part American Indian uh, from Massachusetts. Um, he was uh, led a group of like 50 guys in the Boston Massacre, and he was the first one shot. Um, you know, if, if people want to look for some hero, you got that, you know, Colonel Middleton there or Cypress Addox. Like, they, you don't even know those names. Right. They're not in a history book. They don't want right. that in history books. Delegate from Connecticut to the Federal Convention. It's got uh, one more minute if you want to listen to it. Sure, sure. Observed in on 22nd of August, 1787. He said that the abolishment of slavery seemed to be going on in the U.S. and that the good sense of the several states would probably by degrees complete it. Oliver Ellsworth, also a representative from Connecticut, very confidently said, slavery in time will not be a speck on our country. He said provision is already made in Connecticut for abolishing it and the abolition has already taken place in Massachusetts. The truth in history turns our current education of American history on its head, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. yeah. By the way, who is that? We should give her credit so people know who that is. That this is uh, Chris Ann Hall. Uh, she's an educator, uh, a former prosecutor, assistant prosecutor in a county of Florida. Uh, she also was a First Amendment attorney for a nonprofit for 10 years. Um, and before that, she was a Russian linguist in the Army. Um, she uh, started a business educating uh, 
all kind of people, anybody who wants to listen really about the constitution from a founder's point of view. And she has a um, podcast that she does called the Chris Ann Hall show. Uh, it's on a web and all the podcast apps. Uh, this is called Liberty First University, which is a separate thing she does. It's a subscription thing where you can uh, read, read all these classes. So I'm pulling this from her class. Chris Ann, thank you. Nice. I don't know if you want to unscreen. Oh, yeah, I want to unshare. I've shown her. Okay. So, Keith, you pointed out something else when we were talking about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution earlier on, that uh, it's a capitalization observation, but it has meaning. You want to describe it? Sure. Um, in the Declaration of Independence, they use the lowercase u for united. Uh, united is just an English word. Um, I had some pictures we're going to show. Can you show the pictures that I sent you? Uh, which one do you want to declaration? see? Uh, the, the, the one that's signed. Uh, let's see. Um, it's a calligraphy version. So uh, the, the original Declaration of Independence uh, doesn't have any signatures on it. It was a broadside printed in, on July 4th overnight. Uh, it just has a, a, um, a typeset, John Hancock. Um, but anyway, so the, the capital U... Uh, in the word united was an English word to them, which meant together. So if you see up at the top where it says States of America, the, the words right before that are these 13 united. Like the word united is, is tiny, tiny script. Uh, and the U is lowercase. And I can only see the middle. I can't see the. Yeah, you can't really. See, I, I don't know that you can really. Okay. See, yeah. But you can see the States of America. I can see that. Great. Um, yeah. So the, the word united was small, and the Declaration of Independence was 13 independent sovereign states declaring their independence simultaneously from the state of Great Britain. And they use that term in, in there. The, uh, the word is uh, they dissolve all ties with the state of Great Britain. And they use the capital S for state of Great Britain, and they use the capital S for state of Virginia and the state of Massachusetts. Because... France, England, Massachusetts, and Virginia were all equal sovereigns. They have the same power. And the, they use the word united at the in the closing. They also lowercase u, where the fonts are all the same size, but they use lowercase u. So that's a, that's a clear point. And uh, I've noticed uh, sometimes I write stuff and I use the lowercase u, and an editor somewhere will capitalize it. <laughs> But there, there was sure. no capital U United States in 1776. No such thing. That was, that was 12 years later when, when they ratified the Constitution. That was 1787. Right. 88, actually. 1788. So, so this is more analogous to the European Union or something where it was like a bunch of sovereign countries, which was not a word that was used at the time, really, but sovereign states declared independence simultaneously and together, but not as a single entity. No, it was not. There was no such thing. That's, you know, like I, like I said, there, there was no such thing as capital U United States. That did not exist then. It was yep. united in just the English word together. That's what they meant. Right. That, right. that was later that they started calling themselves United. And, you know, up until like 1850 or so, they typically used the phrase these. They would say these United States. And they didn't always capitalize the U. They would say right. these United States and often with a lowercase u. The so United what do you think, States. Okay. What changed it? 
Uh, the idea that the central government is supposed to run everything, every detail of our lives, and the idea that the individual states are basically arms of the federal government, and you know they're just supposed to do the bidding of whatever the overlords in D.C. tell them to do. And when the states right. go along with that, um, you get you get some of these problems we have today. You get down to the point where. Uh, every time you flush your toilet, somebody in D.C. decided how much water is going to be used. Like that's not in the Constitution that they're allowed to tell us how much water we use in the toilet, but they do. Right. There's a candidate running running for that. I heard him. He's it, it's he's a little facetious, but that's his number one party platform. He's going to make what? he's going to make toilets great again. He wants to make America great again by getting the federal government out of the toilet industry. He said, America used to have great toilets. <laughs> Sorry to go on. <laughs> um, yeah, as someone point, is pointing out, the 14th Amendment uh, did make some, some major changes to uh, the power of the federal government. Um, and we tend to forget that that's not really, uh, that's not really, constituted the way that we think of of the government today in fact there's still remnants of that keith you were mentioning you told me a story the other day about uh a sheriff and the atf i didn't realize this about sheriffs but maybe i think it's interesting i think people will be interested to hear um the sheriff is an elected representative of the people of a county and that office uh, is a constitutional office, and it goes back uh, at least 500 years or more. Uh, the sheriff slowly was instituted in, in England um, for the same reason, that the sheriff could oppose the king. So in the United States, uh, a county sheriff is the highest law enforcement officer in the county. Uh, he answers to the people of that county. He's elected by the county. Uh, no one in the federal government can tell a sheriff what to do. And the number one job of the sheriff is to uphold the Constitution to protect the liberty of the citizens. So the story that I had told Carter, um, as an example, uh, in Montana or, or North Dakota or someplace, um, there was a recent vet from the Middle East War, uh, had PSTD, PTSD. Uh, he was um, given a prescription for medical marijuana, which is legal in his state. And the ATF, when they can get it, they'll get, collect uh, gun registration records and bounce them against medical marijuana permits and confiscate people's guns. So they ATF said they're going to come. He's not allowed to have guns, has to turn them in. He said, no, I'm not turning them in. Uh, so um, the ATF said, you have to. We're going to come. We're going to come get them then. So he called a sheriff and the sheriff said, no, there's just there's a thing. The Second Amendment says you have the right to bear arms. Uh, marijuana is legal for medical use in this county. You have a prescription from a doctor um, and you have the right to, to have a gun in your house. So the sheriff got a bunch of deputies and uh, went to his house on the day the ATF guys were coming. And the ATF guys, there's four of them, they show up in their big black SUV uh, and they say, we're going to take your guns. And the sheriff says, no, nah, can't take his guns. So there was a, there was a little uh, argument back and forth um, there were some threats made, but nobody actually shot anybody. Uh, but the sheriff told him if they tried to take his guns that he would arrest the ATF guys and put him in jail because he's the sheriff in this county. And ATF has no, does not have authority over the sheriff. Uh, they represent the federal government and they're violating the Constitution. 
So the, the ATF guys, they got surprised. They called back to DC and talked to their boss. Uh, and then their boss had to call his boss and his boss and eventually made it up pretty far through the uh, justice department. And the word came back down and said, uh, guys, yeah, uh, don't really tell anybody this, but yeah, the guy's right. <laughs> A sheriff, he's, <laughs> he's pointing out that this is unconstitutional. By the way, it is unconstitutional. Uh, right. Even they know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they know it's unconstitutional. Um, and yeah. so the, uh, yeah, the ATF guys at the end of, uh, I think they were there for like half a day by the time the word came back. Uh, and they were a bit surprised. And apparently the ATF guy's boss was also surprised. But yeah, that is true. The sheriff of a county is the highest law enforcement officer in the county. Uh, a state cop does not have authority over the sheriff. Uh, a sheriff can arrest an ATF agent. Uh, a sheriff could arrest a, um, a Marine, a U.S. Marine that came into the county and said, you know, the government told me to do this. A sheriff would just put him in jail and, and take him to court. Like, no, a Marine has no authority in a county, nor does a state cop and certainly no FBI or CIA or ATF or Homeland Security or Coast Guard or n- none of them. Sheriff is, is the top guy. So in this county. Sheriffs could be the saviors of the country if they wanted to be. I'm, I mean, I'm, if, reading, I'm reading a book right now. It's by Sheriff Richard Mack. It's called The County Sheriff, America's Last Hope. And it's <laughs> basically, it goes through the history of what the sheriff is, what's the authority, and what is the duty of the sheriff of a county. Yeah. I mean, it, on days when I am losing hope that we can save Western civilization... That's a good thought. I guess we just need liberty-minded people to run for sheriff. Um, and I guess if your county is liberty-minded, they can vote for a sheriff who will stick up for your your rights. Yeah, I happen to know one. In fact, I got the book um, from somebody who's running for sheriff in the uh, St. Lucie County, just north of me, Richard Richard Williams. Rich Williams, He's uh, con- he calls himself constitutional sheriff. He gave me Richard's Mac... Richard Mack's book and said, this is basically, this is what I want to do. Maybe I should Great. move to that County so I can vote for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or other people should, should run other sheriffs. Um, yeah. Someone's pointing out nor the SWAT team from the EPA. The fact that the EPA <laughs> has a SWAT team. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I don't less, doubt. I didn't know. I, was on, I, I forgot the number, but I told you how many guns and rounds of ammo the, <laughs> Oh yeah, you had uh, you had like the Department of Agriculture and the EPA. Yeah, yeah I think I shouldn't say the number, but I'm going to take a guess anyway. I think it was it was a hundred thousand or something. No, I shouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. It was I'm a not lot. Guess on the number, it was a lot. Like yeah, it was a lot. Of, it was a lot of guns to enforce environmental regulations. <laughs> but so, what, what does the EPA need one gun? Yeah, well. I mean, we could ask why the EPA and end the question there. Why the EPA? <laughs> so um, I want to, I want to, you know, it's 4th of July. So we went over kind of the, you gave us a overview of the declaration. Um, and I don't think we didn't talk about the Lee resolution really, but I guess that's not super, super important to understanding context, unless you think there's something we're missing there. Well, it's, it's interesting. We can spend a minute or two on if you want. The, the Lee Resolution is what Independence Day is about. Um, on July 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress passed the Lee Resolution, 
uh, and uh, it says, resolved that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved with all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. Uh, that was on July 2nd, uh, that passed. And that's when the 13 states became independent and they became states. And that's when the ties were dissolved. Um, there was a, you know, the, an effort to formally explain it all was what the Declaration of Independence was about. Um, they had been working on that for a, a month or two, something like that. Uh, and they right. were still editing. And on July 4th, they approved the final version of the text of the Declaration of Independence and uh, printed the Dunlop broadsides, 200 copies overnight. And uh, that just has a typeset um, John Hancock, comma, president at the bottom. Um, he was president of the Continental Congress. Um, and then that's what they sent to the king. Uh, the, the one that you, you know, we, that you showed the, um, it's the a calligraphy. Skin, skin parchment. They, yeah, in, in late July, they hired a calligrapher to take a Dunlop broadside and, and do that version. And then on, on August 2nd is when John Hancock signed that. So, right. you know, so the point, uh, the interesting point, uh, you know, I mean, it's a great holiday. I'm going to go out and watch the fireworks and there's an air show and have dinner with some friends. Um, but actually independence day is actually July 2nd. Um, and as far as a holiday goes, uh, I, I don't, I never call it 4th of July. I mean, that's not a holiday. Every country has a 4th of July. Um, yeah. It's no different than the 8th of July or the 9th of July. Yeah. And, you know, the 8th of July is when they actually read it in, in uh, Philadelphia to the crowd um, in the John Adams movie when they, they, they run all that together. So they show them passing the resolution uh, and then they go out and they read the Declaration of Independence to the crowd like immediately after. But right. that actually was, you know, six days later. And in between that is when was the actual fourth when. So I think you mentioned it on a show the other day. You said it was a paperwork thing. It took two yeah, days. Yeah, I kind of view it as some bureaucracy, but you know. So so we're celebrating today. Everybody has off work for paperwork day. Yeah, but I I don't mind shifting the date. It's okay. I, I, I don't I'll care. celebrate the independence. No, we, that's um, why you called it Independence Day. And and the, the legal holiday is Independence Day. I mean, there isn't any holiday Fourth of July. I mean, do we have right. a holiday called Twenty Fifth of December? Right. Maybe right. I'll start calling it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I know that uh, I know that a lot of SJWs would would prefer twenty fifth of December over. Christmas, so. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to go down that rab rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so this is, I mean, partly what we do on Deprogram though is often talk about social justice and and kind of that ideology. And you know, Carrie and I were talking about this this morning on on Kofefi, but one of the things that happens with the the SJW crowd is they the Independence Day is not their favorite holiday. <laughs> it's, it's not their it's not their favorite holiday. Um, they, as Carrie was mentioning, that they get triggered just by the red, white, and blue colors, um, and they don't like a lot about about America and its founding. But I think it's you know, it's in, it's incumbent on all of us who like I complain about the government a lot. I think the government does a lot wrong, especially now. But I think it's important to remember what you know. I mentioned earlier one tradition that you have is you read the Constitution every Fourth of July, every Independence Day, and I think it's important to remember why 
what makes you America unique? Because we hear politicians all the time talk about, uh, well, what makes us unique is we're a nation of immigrants, or we care, or we're generous, or we're hardworking. But none of that is actually what makes America as a nation unique. None of it. Um, no. Diversity, you know, when they say we're a nation of immigrants, diverse immigrants, like the diversity is ideas. Like I care about the diversity of ideas. People say, oh, this is a diverse group and that's better. And like, what, what is your diverse? Like race and sex? Is that, you know, sexual orientation? That's what you mean? Like, I don't care about any of that. Like right. in a politician, uh, I want a diversity of ideas. I want to pick the best idea. And I could care less about any of those personal factors or, or race. Like that's the, that's the last thing to care about. Right. And that's the, you know, the thing about rights, when people start talking about women's rights and LGBT rights and, 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 uh, you know, men's rights, all the rights, like, well, that just means you're not really using the word, right? Like there's no such thing as women's rights. Like just because you have a uterus doesn't mean you have special rights, right? If it's a right, everybody has it. It doesn't matter what equipment you're carrying around. Doesn't matter how much melanin's in your skin, and it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. That's a good point. So basically, human rights, if properly in implemented, none of this matters. Yeah, as soon as somebody puts a modifier in front of rights, it doesn't matter what the modifier is. Like they're they're all wrong. Every single one's wrong. There's no such yep. thing. Every yep. you know, if you need a modifier in front of the word rights because you're saying that only certain people have them, then you don't know what the word right means. Well, the implication is that it comes from the government, as we mentioned. Rights are not gifts from the government. Right. So the, the, other, uh, uh, the other topic we were, if you want to touch on, is, is women yep. during the revolution. Yes, I, I did. So I wanted to talk on slavery and, and, and that, which we, I think we talked about. I don't know if there's a lot more to talk about there. Well, just but, kind of the conclusion uh, is that it's a form of ad hominem argument to say that the founding era is not valid because they were slavery. It's, it's a personal attack. So if you say that, well, Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner, like, well, that has nothing to do with the words of the Declaration of Independence. Like, <laughs> right. present me an intelligent argument that says the Declaration of Independence is wrong. If you want to talk about whether Thomas Jefferson had slaves or slept with Sally, whatever her name was, like, right. I don't care about that. That doesn't have anything to do with the argument. You got to, Look at the argument. And that's what I mean by ad hominem. It's an ad hominem argument. So, right. you know, Colin Kaepernick's argument is ad hominem. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, his argument is is, is so weak that it's, you know, this it, flag was in existence around the time of things that were happening that were bad in the world. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, the worst he, argument ever. He probably has no idea. Yeah. Does he want reparations? Yeah. I, probably from the NFL. So, yeah. I was arguing we should have reparations in, in just a bit, but it makes just as much sense as the other way. All black people in America should pay reparations to the white people who are descendants of those who brought them here. And they live this wonderful free life. They have so many opportunities. Like they could have grown up in Africa. You're going to get so, us yeah. banned on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. What is your segment at the end to, uh, the overlords. Yeah, oh yeah, I, we don't do a segment to the overlords for Deke program. So oh, but let's. All right, so okay. let's talk about women. Yeah, uh, we. I. You know, we we touched on the slavery and the racial issues. Um, women. Let's talk about women. In, all right. In, in the era of the founding. Uh, so it's a it's a very similar thing with women. It's the same kind of attack. 
um, where they say that the women at the time of the founding uh, were were just beat down and and you know it was a misogynist sexist society and the women had nothing to do with the revolution patriarchy That's, patriarchy patriarchy yeah yes it's the same attack as the racist one uh and it's also false it's you it's it's horribly false um what the women did during the revolution is astounding the, the women were were patriotic to to the max um and there's so many examples of women that are not in the school history books um, that, that prove that wrong. And that, you know, the, the narrative is to, to not talk about them. Um, and it, you know, Mercy Otis Warren, you talk about her, that, that she was an advisor to Washington and Jefferson. Uh, there's some of her words are in the constitution. Um, she was a playwright. She wrote satirical plays in the like 1750s and sixties and seventies that just beat on the British government, like just called them out for all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, there's a, there's a woman, uh, her name written down, De- Deborah Simpson. Um, she disguised herself as a man, joined the infantry and served for a year and a half. Uh, and she got injured and fell with fever and fell unconscious. And they took her to the doctor and found out she was a woman. <laughs> she said, oh, so they reported her up the chain to general Washington and general Washington said, gave, give her a medal. Like, what did she do? And they found out she was like an excellent, brave soldier. She had all kinds of great service. And so they, uh, they honorably discharged her. Like she needed to be discharged. So they honorably discharged her. Uh, Washington gave her a, some kind of an award. And then they had a parade for her where she stood with General uh, Patterson, you know, one of the big American generals, <laughs> on the porch of his headquarters. And the whole 4th Regiment marched by in honor to salute her. Like, like damn patriarchy. Oh, guess what? They don't want that one in the history book, right? So no. the argument, though, would be, well, they couldn't vote. No, no, they couldn't vote. Um, there's a there's a uh, a funny quip with Abigail Adams, who was a uh, a very big confidant on the whole thing with with John Adams, where uh, they they like go back and forth and like well, you want the women to vote? Like, that's a crazy thing. But he's doing it in jest. Like, you, you can, you read it, and like, John Adams is thinking that women are going to be able to vote. Like, that's going to happen. Hmm. The society was not ready for it then. But when they say all men are created equal, um, they, they often talk about women in politics, you know. I mean, there were women politicians then. So the, uh, the ambassador, one example I heard when I was taking, taking that course, the... Uh, ambassador that made peace with one of the big con- uh, groups of Indian tribes was a woman like 1745 or something. Right. She's the ambassador for, for the, the uh, Massachusetts Bay colony. Now women's suffrage, women voting wasn't a thing. It's not like the rest of the world had women voting and the United States was like, no, 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 we're a patriarchy. Uh, this wasn't a, this wasn't a thing. No, not at all. Um, the the uh, that that just gradually happened as women started to get more and more involved in in what was going on. But in seventeen, uh, you know, seventy six, uh, women were really focused on running the house and and the raising the children, and um, that was how society was structured. But there were plenty of women that had businesses at the time, and you look at the patriot stories like 
all the big ones, Sam Adams and John Adams, uh, Thomas Jefferson, their wives were raising a dozen kids and running a huge family farm while they were gone for a year. Those are not incapable women. And, and And you read some of their letters, read the letters from Abigail Adams, like, you think, and it's amazing. She writes just like the rest of them. And you think, I can't believe these people went to like a one room schoolhouse with 20 kids of all different ages up until seventh grade or sixth grade. And <laughs> well, without common core government education, I don't know how that ever happened. Well, they didn't have government education. Then. It was before <laughs> there was no, they didn't have mandatory education. Then everybody was homeschooled essentially, or you were at a homeschool collaborative, which is what the schools were. The, the first the first school setup was actually the pilgrims, um, but there was no requirement to go. They had a rule that if you had more than a hundred kids in the town, then you were supposed to have a school, and the parents could send them there if they want or not. It wasn't until 1850 that the you know they went to Prussia and learned about the German school system, and they came back with the idea of oh you got to divide the kids up by age, and you got to make it illegal not to go to the government school. And, you know, we're going to churn out good soldiers and good factory workers. Like, that's what right. the school system is designed for. Anyway, I didn't mean to right. go down there. No, no, uh, no. I had another video about women, if you want to watch it. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to watch Fine. it because I don't think we okay. covered the video or the, the women issue very well. So let's so, let's do that. Yeah, I got uh, two pieces. One's on Mercedes Warren, which is uh, it's another Chris Ann Hall video. Okay. Uh, uh, it'll take me 30 seconds here. Well, I can't, uh, I can't sing or tap dance for people, but I'll get faster this probably, but I do have, you know, one thing to keep in mind, Keith, is that, um, I, the culture was different because life, the lifestyle was different. So it wasn't like you had a bunch of two income parents and daycare to send kids and the women feeling like they were underrepresented. Uh, there was division of labor that was voluntary and part of culture. Yeah. Yeah, there were there was there were t- tasks were divided up, but uh, lots there was lots of brave women. Here we go. Here's Chris Ann again talking about women in the 1770s. Mercy Otis Warren is my favorite founding mother. Mercy was an amazing woman, and she serves as proof of our current progressive hypocrisy. Remember, these revisionists of history want us to believe that these women were weak, irrelevant, oppressed, and had no role whatsoever in the independence or writing our Constitution. So they can perpetrate the lie to discredit the men to undermine the Constitution itself. They claim their efforts to highlight the victimhood of these women during the Revolutionary Era would empower women today to make our daughters bold and brave in the future. But the truth of those like Mercy Otis Warren could be the true power and boldness for our daughters if we would just teach an accurate history. Mercy Otis Warren was the daughter of an attorney and a judge. Her brother was James Otis Jr. You remember James Otis Jr. from several of our LFU classes. The founders of our Constitutional Republic referred to James Otis Jr. as the midwife to liberty, and Mercy was bestowed with no less a boldness. Mercy was the first American woman playwright. She wrote Shakespearean-style plays in the form of satire that were put on at local playhouses to poke fun at the British government and to encourage the liberty movement. 
You can even read Mercy's plays today. One of her plays, The Ladies of Castile, is full of brilliant humor and satire and has been highly recommended over the centuries. Mercy is also the first American woman historian. She wrote a three-volume history called The Rise, Progress, and Termination of the American Revolution. The only truly accurate history that you can read is the one that is written by the people who've lived it. Mercy didn't spare any harshness of truth in her recollection of events. She truly wrote the history as she saw it, much to the displeasure of some of the men of that day. History tells us that after reading her history, John Adams uh, was put off by her candor. And he wrote Mercy a scathing letter. Now that didn't discourage Mercy one bit as she was dedicated to the truth. She says, I have to write this history because I lived it. When we live in a society that is trying to lift up our daughters and make them bolder and make them more courageous and give them women to look up to, why wouldn't we be teaching mercy? Now I'll, I'll stop that there. But, um, it's the whole thing's good. Yeah, they don't they don't teach her. Uh, and then she has a she has a final thoughts one. This one's three minutes long. Do you have any comments on that before I go on? No, I mean, I, you know, we don't hear a lot. I mean, the only people we hear a little bit about Abigail Adams, um, Betsy Ross. We don't, we don't hear a Betsy lot about Ross the women. Like Molly Pitcher, right? Yeah. And even but when we you don't... hear about Molly Pitcher, uh, you don't hear about who she is, you know? Right. You know, and we don't, we don't hear that there Barry was. Ludwig Hayes. And, and the, the reason she was honored, I mean, they made her a non-commissioned officer. And, and it wasn't for carrying water. Like, her job was to carry water, and that's why they call her Molly Pitcher. And you read an American history book, they taught, oh, she carried water for the soldiers. But the reason they made her an officer is because her husband was killed or injured, like, out of service. He was a cannon loader, and she jumped in and loaded the cannon for a whole day on the front lines. Right. Like, like and then at the end, they made her a non-commissioned officer. You don't, they don't want to talk about that, right? Right. You can't. Yeah. All right. Here, here's the final thoughts one. This is this is three and a half minutes. I think I'll let it play. Wave your hand if you want me to stop it. But I, the whole thing's pretty good. All right. Hannah Winthrop once wrote, and be it known unto Britain, even American daughters are politicians and patriots and will aid the good work with their female efforts. Weak, oppressed, irrelevant, powerless. Don't say that to British General Cornwallis. There's an account in history of a British soldier giving a report to British General Cornwallis. A battle had just recently been won by the British troops, and there was a sense of victory and celebration among the British soldiers and their command. In a bold declaration of sober truth, this British soldier said to General Cornwallis, Sir, we may destroy all the men in America, and we shall still have all we can do to defeat the women. <laughs> what we need to know, that by the time Cornwallis is getting this report of the victory in the field, the revolutionary woman have, um, women have almost completely decimated the English linen industry. The British soldiers also knew the accounts of the women who were picking up muskets and pitchforks and, and anything else they could find to defend their lives, their families, and their homes. 
British troops knew very well the formidable force, the courageous and boundless spirit possessed of the American patriot woman. This spirit is who we are. It is coursing through our veins today. The same spirit that drove Mercy Otis Warren to write. May nothing ever check that glorious spirit of freedom which inspires the patriot in the cabinet and the hero in the field with the courage to maintain their righteous cause and to endeavor to transmit that claim to posterity, even if they must seal the rich conveyance to their children with their blood. Yeah, that doesn't really sound like a, an oppressed, beat-down woman, woman, does it? Yeah, it's the it's the certainly countering the narrative of uh, the patriarchy doing this and the women just uh, detached, uninvolved, staying at home, and uh, you know, yeah, I mean that that's not a, that's also pro America. <laughs> no, I mean that's a woman that Thomas Jefferson and John Adams and George Washington wrote letters to, asking advice on principle of liberty. <laughs> it is. What inspired Hannah Winthrop to declare, don't forget about the women because we're ready to defend and are defending as well. I'm going to end this course with Mercy Otis Warren. Her words should inspire the hearts, minds, and souls of liberty-loving men and women today. She said, though we are daily threatened with deprivations of Britain, Yet each city stands ready to sacrifice their devoted lives to preserve inviolate and to convey to their children their inherent rights of men conferred on all by the God of nature and the privileges of Englishmen claimed by all Americans from the sacred sanctions of compacts. Mercy boldly declared, we will stand against tyranny today or our children will bow tomorrow. This is what they did for us. This is the price that they willingly paid. Remember, Rebecca Mott said she joyfully paid that price. Do we believe that liberty comes at less a price today? Do we assume that because we are technologically advanced, we deserve more comfort? Because the truth is, the price of liberty has not changed. Those are sober words, Keith. The price of liberty has not changed. Those are sober words. Uh, and that, again, to give credit, that is Chris Ann Hall. That's Liberty First University. Uh, I've taken about a third of the courses on that. It's, it's awesome. If you want to learn about the Constitution from the founder's point of view, there, there is a great source. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so she talks about like, you know, the, the, the line where the, the uh, soldiers telling the general Cornwallis for the British troops, like, if we defeat all the men, we still have the women. Like he's telling them, you ain't right. going to win this. <laughs> right. They're not going to roll over. They're not going to roll over. <laughs> you know, there was, yeah. a, there was another one, an example in that course, she talks about a, uh, you know, a lot of them, there were militias in towns where all the, a lot of the men were gone and the women formed militias. And there's a story in there about uh, a woman who gathered, you know, 40, 50 women from her town. They were assigned to guard a bridge 
and these British you know, soldiers came up to the bridge, a couple of them. One of them heard the, the leader's voice and turned around and ran because he knew who she was. It was his sister. <laughs> it was his sister? It was his sister. He was, <laughs> he was on the other side, and he told the other guy who was a, a, a colonel or something that was in charge, he said, she is, you're gonna ha- she is not going to let you through even if you have to kill her. <laughs> Don't. And he turned around. He was on a horse, and he ran away. So he said, oh, <laughs> it's a bunch of women. So he went across the bridge, and they captured him. <laughs> turned them in. <laughs> See, those so, are the inspiring yeah, that, stories that 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 women inspiring story. Young girls should be those, hearing. We don't, we don't, you don't hear them. They're not in. The, they're not allowed to be in the history books. They don't want that narrative. The school system today, and the government does not want that narrative in the, in the book. So that's why they don't teach history. Did I ever tell you the story of my American history class? No, I took American history 101 in college. Um, the first day, this was in 78. I was a freshman, 18 year old. Okay. Uh, first assignment, the professor says, your assignment, your homework assignment for today is to go home, forget everything you've ever learned in grammar school and high school about American history, because it only had one purpose to make you love your government, and your country. And then when you come in on Wednesday, I'm going to start at the beginning and tell you what actually happened. That's a history. That's a, class. Hell of, that's a hell of a line. Oh, and by the name, the guy's name was Dr. Paris Glendening. Um, about 15 years after that, he went into politics and he was the two term governor of Maryland. Really? But uh, yeah, when he was governor, I never heard him say that. But probably wasn't <laughs> say as governor. He, I don't but think yeah, he'd have been elected. I went to his office and would ask him questions and he'd tell me. And, and there was a lot of stuff I learned in that class that I didn't remember hearing in high school. And like, yeah. I wonder if a guy doing that now, like that guy would be fired. Can't yeah, absolutely. Now. This was, absolutely. and it was a state school. This was University of Maryland. <laughs> you can't do that. And, and uh, when he ran for governor uh, year, many years later, uh, that's when I found out what party he was. Like I took this class from him and I got, when he was running, I was like, I don't, you know, that's kind of interesting. I don't even know what political party he was. <laughs> he was a history teacher and he was in the uh, government and politics department. So he was a professor, professor of government politics, but he didn't get into politics. He just taught history. And like now you take American history, it's an indoctrination class. Yep. Well, they don't teach you any of this stuff. You never hear about uh, any of the former slaves who fought, any of the women who fought. Um, all you hear is the narrative, right? The evil yes. white patriarchy. You're not uh, even allowed you know, to talk about it. You know, when right. I tried to teach on Constitution Day last year, uh, Constitution Day is September 17th. That's when uh, in 1787, when they got done in Philly in Independence Hall and they submitted it to the states for ratification. Uh, there's a federal law that all schools that accept federal money have to teach one block of the Constitution on Constitution Day. Yep. Uh, uh, most schools, very few schools do it. Um, most schools don't even know it exists. So I uh, went and volunteered at my school, my uh, to my um, county schools. Uh, I would like to teach a constitution overview in a school, uh, and it took them a month and a half to figure out why they wouldn't let me. But they eventually rejected me. They said I wasn't qualified because you have to have a law degree. You have to have a law degree to to teach the constitution. To teach a one-hour overview at the high school level. 
<laughs> that's Martin County, Florida. That's their policy. Well, and, and actually, can we, can we mention something there really quickly, Keith? Uh, the Constitution was written to be interpreted by regular people. It wasn't intended as a uh, a document that only lawyers could interpret. This was meant to be understandable by every, the average citizen. It was it was entirely written to be understood by the average citizen, and a lot of citizens understood it. And we're talking about people that had you know four or five years of formal education at best, and it was nothing like the hours that they spent today. Uh, right. th these people understood that, and it's not that hard to read. It takes about forty five minutes to read it. Uh, they do tend to use run on sentences, and uh, they they use some words that aren't exactly the same as the way we use them today. So. If you've never read it before, it'd take a little longer than 45 minutes, but it takes me about 45 minutes to read it. And well, it, we're starting the tradition I'm, in my family because of you. We're starting that tradition today. Good we're reading. You. We're reading it. Thank you. So, that's, yeah. That's, it's, it's, <laughs> um, and the Declaration of Independence takes about 10 minutes. Uh, and and that's why I did a two-minute version because uh, I've noticed from doing these sorts of things that 10 minutes is way more time than the average American is willing to take on Independence Day to understand what the day is about. So that's my two-minute version. That's the purpose of that. And yeah. uh, that, that got published. It got picked up. Uh, the National Convention of States people wrote an article and submitted it. And uh, I checked that the, it's on my Liberty Solutions YouTube channel so I can see how many views. Uh, and it had like 250 views in the first 24 hours or something. Like it's yeah. out there. And, and I'm hoping people understand what the declaration is, you know, that, that people will take two minutes to understand it before they run out to get beer for the fireworks. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, by all means celebrate today, but take some time to understand why you're celebrating. There you go. Rebel IPA. That was the only choice. Sam Adams, rebel <laughs> IPA. <laughs> but it's, you know, Keith, I, um, it's not a lot to ask. It's not a lot to ask to read the Constitution or take a few a few minutes out of your day on Independence Day to know why you're celebrating. And Keith, do you want to like summarize why are we celebrating? What the hell makes America special in the first place? America is about individual rights, liberty to do as you please as long as you don't violate the rights of somebody else and the whole union was founded on that and we've got 50 independent sovereign states and the states are supposed to have the highest power by the constitution the states are the top authority and the states need to be able to tell the federal government what to do you know if the states wanted to dissolve the federal government and try again they can perfectly legal um and the holiday is to celebrate what happened in 1776 which is throwing off a tyrannical government that was not uh, meeting the needs of the people and the people created a new one. But the idea is that just governments run by the consent of the governed. So that's what the holiday is about. You know, John Adams said, you know, that the day would be, uh, you know, celebrated with fireworks and parties. And I have his quote here. Yeah. Read it because that part of that sounds right so far. Yeah, here it is. This is a letter from John Adams to his wife, Abigail, on July 3rd, by the way. I don't want to get back into that. It's about <laughs> July. This is about July 2nd. Right. He thought it was going to be July 2nd as the big day. Well, it day. was. They, they thought that for 50 years. 
Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was later. He says, the date will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by seceding generations as a great anniversary festival. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. <laughs> How are we doing on July 4th instead of 2nd? I don't care about that. We do celebrate it, but uh, I don't. But we don't know why. And actually, I think the people who know why the most are the social justice warriors who don't want to celebrate it. Uh, they know what we're celebrating, and uh, you should know too. Everyone else should know. You should so, know. And, and that's what my video is. So share it everywhere you want. You know, maybe you can post some links in the show notes. I'll post links to your video. How can people find you uh, and follow your work? I know I forgot to mention at the beginning. You're the host of the Liberty Solutions podcast. I'll, I'll put a link to that below. How do you want people to follow you and find you? Uh, I host Liberty Solutions podcast. Uh, I have a Liberty Solutions report YouTube channel, which is short videos like the, the one we just watched. Um, I, I uh, post blog articles on the Convention of States website. Each state has one. Uh, I'm a content writer for Florida. It's Convention of States Florida is the website. Um, I'm also one of the co-editors of the Florida Facebook page, Convention of States Florida facebook page um and uh anybody else that's willing to talk to me like carter uh i jump on it <laughs> i enjoy our discussions i know uh they're they're less silly and more factual which i find i like better i like to hear about the history i didn't learn history very well um and so i like having to dive in and i really appreciate you diving i mean i know your background you you didn't uh spend decades uh, teaching history, you've, this is uh, something that has been a hobby and I think it's kind of blossomed into a semi-full-time thing and, and now from what I can tell with you. And so... Well, it's half, it's half time. I did do it okay. full-time for a while, but I found that it was driving me bananas trying to save the country full-time. <laughs> so what I had to do is cut myself down to half-time. I'm also a musician. I'm a half-time musician. And All so right. those two kind of balance my brain nicely so i spend about half my day playing guitar producing music videos going out to bars and playing with singers and that that kind of keeps my head straight um, but i get that up makes, that makes sense that makes <laughs> sense you spend half your time trying to save the country and the other half trying to feel why you're trying to save the country <laughs> i'm not trying i i'm i am enjoying the hell out of this country this is <laughs> fair country uh, and I uh, play guitar out several times a week and just have a grand time with a whole bunch of different people. And uh, at four o'clock, I invited a bunch of musicians over and we're going to have a little thing on my front porch. I live on the river, um, the barge. I can look over there. I can see the barge, which is where my town shoots the fireworks from. Um, I got a view that is maybe slightly better than the view from the park, which is where <laughs> the barge is supposed to be for, but um, and I got a chair and a refrigerator and a shade. And uh, so anyway, wants us I tend to celebrate it. And I, and I did have a good note when you're ready to end. Tell me. Yeah. Well, someone said they want us to tutor uh, Colin Kaepernick. And I think we have tutored him a little bit. If he watches the show, he'll maybe he'll learn something about the history of blacks in the U.S. But I think we don't really need to go back all the way to uh, Independence Day or the original Independence Day. Uh, we can just rewind a couple decades for another black American entertainment icon and see how he treated uh, Independence Day and maybe 
maybe Colin, you could be more like this guy. Keith, do you want to play? You want to play that video? Yes. Yeah, so please compare this particular black man with how, what he thought about the country and the founding with uh, Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> I think you get the idea there. Um, yeah. Yeah, Keith. And um, thank you for that. And I would, uh, hey, as a fan of of uh, kind of a, the classic rock era, <laughs> I, I can listen to that kind of stuff all day. But um, hey, Colin Kaepernick, take a, take a note from the, the pages of Jimi Hendrix and realize that you are so much better off and you are in the elite 1%, uh, not only of the world, but you particularly are in the elite 1% probably of Americans. And that's because of the freedoms that you enjoy in this great country. I know I'm an anarchist. I know I want limited government and eventually no government. But comparing the countries in the world, this is by far the most principled and best nation that has ever existed. Know why you're celebrating today and go out and celebrate. Keith, thank you. Thank you for joining. Thank you for educating us. Um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. That was great. No, it's, that's very interesting. And you, uh, you got me to look up some stuff I might not have. So yeah, I don't think Jimi Hendrix would have agreed with Colin Kaepernick about the flag. Probably and not. There's a million people screaming for him. So, I mean, and that was at the height of the Vietnam War in the 60s. You know, you think racism was better <laughs> yes. then than it is now? Yes. You think you yeah. think those like half a million people cared that he was black? Didn't yeah. care at all. Could care less. Yep. Yeah. And he didn't care either, I don't think, as far as I can tell. I don't think you should. That's no, so. you shouldn't. You shouldn't. So yeah, hold him up as an example of an American that that was celebrating the founding there. That's how I interpret that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, thanks cold. again. Thanks again, Keith. Um, yeah. Any final words? Have a great independence day celebration and remember why you're able to do it and why we're here, but have fun. Don't focus on it, but have fun. But just, I would like everybody to know why. Great advice. Um, thank you again, Keith. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all. Uh, Carrie will be back tomorrow. Thanks. Okay. <laughs>